This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. A beautiful day is upon us. Uh, We're finally hitting the springtime and springtime is NHL hockey. And my co-host is off-site today, Wally Riggerman. Wally, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Naz? Good, good. The weather is... is, uh, Quite good today. I'm, I'm looking for a change. To, yeah, <laughs> for a change. Uh, you know what? Springtime has arrived. Uh, the playoffs are here. Masters Sunday. The, the official arrival of spring, by the way, Naz, is next Sunday. Yeah. Uh, or next week when uh, when the Masters uh, uh, gets underway down in Augusta, and I'm, we'll talk about that one next Sunday. But uh, yeah, it's great to have some uh, great to have some spring weather. Got the golf clubs ready. Got to hit the courses pretty soon. Uh, hopefully, uh, in the coming week, weekend. And uh, but uh, the moment of truth has arrived, Naz. Well, uh, just just a sec. There's a Canadian who could be entering the Masters if he wins today. Corey Connors. Uh, well, sir, big yeah, win today ahead. would get him into the Masters. That's a big uh, big item today. Well, certainly. Uh, Certainly, uh, having a rooting interest uh, at Augusta, having a Canadian down there would be would be phenomenal. So uh, let's uh, let's wish him the best today and uh, and hope that he makes it. Uh, and he's a Leaf fan too, Wally. <laughs> even better, yeah. <laughs> he's got everything going for him. So uh, uh, I remember that time talking about uh, talking about Augusta and talking about the Leafs in the same sentence. And as you brought up a very. Uh, a very great memory. Uh, I think it was 2003 when Mike Weir won the Masters and uh, and the only Canadian ever to do so. And the next day, I don't know if you remember, Naz, the next night he dropped the opening putt. Air Canada Centre, I remember. At the Air Canada Centre, the Leafs, and a, an incredibly resounding ovation. I think the Leafs were playing the Flyers in that series, if I'm not mistaken, but... Uh, Mike Weir donned the green jacket and brought it back to the Air Canada Centre and uh, the next night. And uh, wouldn't it be great if that happened again? Let's uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But about keeping our fingers crossed, Naz, uh, the moment of truth has arrived. And uh, later on in the hour, we'll be talking to Michael Trakos, the senior hockey writer for Post Media Network. Uh, certainly, uh, he's he's got his uh, playoffs uh, analyzed. We're thrilled to talk to him. And I guess we should let our listeners know, middle of the hour, we'll be talking to Butch Carter, who's down at the Final Four down in Minnesota. But, Naz, uh, you and I just chatted just briefly before we went on the air, and there's one thing that you and I both want to uh, express uh, publicly on the air. And uh, last night was uh, certainly uh, uh, an end of an era in some ways. Uh, Obviously, there was a hockey game last night that was sort of meaningless, in terms of the standings, but uh, it was Bob Cole night at the Bell Center. And Naz, uh, you and I have chatted with Bob Cole on the air here on Naz and Wally Sports Hour a few times. Uh, consummate gentleman, legend, um, 
don't know what else to say. I chatted with him uh, about a week and a half ago. I invited him on our show, and he's always he's always been generous with his time. The only reason he uh, hasn't been able to come on is he's done he's done the games the last two Saturday nights in a row, and he travels on Sunday mornings. But he's promised to come on, and we'll have an opportunity to chat with him at some point in time. But Naz, your thoughts, um, Bob Cole, uh, put it in your words. The ultimate broadcaster for sure just the best that uh ever was and when it comes to hockey that's for sure yeah you certainly used the right uh the right terminology at the end of there naz that's for sure uh oh baby and oh baby so many other i remember the first time we interviewed uh bob cole on the show it's probably about well i guess about three years back and we wanted to do it um talk about his career. We got the opportunity to uh, chat with him about a whole bunch of different things in his career. Uh, of course, the infamous uh, call at the Spectrum. The, uh, they're, the, the they're going home. They're going. I know, you, Nez, you've, uh, you've gotten a lot of mileage out of that <laughs> one over the years. Uh, and uh, they're going home. They're going home. And I was watching the, um, the opening uh, when they did the tribute to Bob Cole last night, and some of his great calls, of course, there was the great Mario Lemieux goal. So many Gretzky, you know, and you know, at the top of his lung, Gretzky and uh, Messier and uh, the Gilmore call from behind the net. Uh, and what people forget, I'm uh, not, not so sure they forget, but time has passed us by in some respects. In uh, 1972, at the Summit Series, Foster Hewitt got all deservedly got all the credit. For the Paul Henderson goal, but Bob Cole was doing. Uh, Foster did, did the game on television. Uh, Bob Cole did the game on radio. Yeah, and he did it on seven forty a.m. back in the on old days. Seven forty a.m. Is that ironic? Isn't that isn't that ironic? Uh, that, of course, seven forty a.m. in those days was the old CBC radio. Um, and you know, and uh, and I got you know before we interviewed Bob a few years back, I got the opportunity to. Uh, I had to go back and listen to that call. Uh, of course, you'll find everything on YouTube nowadays. And uh, to our listeners, uh, if you've never heard Bob Cole uh, do the uh, Paul Henderson goal, uh, by all means, YouTube it. It's there. He did it on radio. And uh, in its own way, uh, it didn't get the recognition that Foster Hewitt's call got uh, for obvious reasons, because most people were watching on TV, but for servicemen around the world and Canadians around the world and uh, those that weren't able to get to a TV set that particular day for whatever reason, uh, it was Bob Cole. Uh, and it's a, it's a remarkable call as well. Uh, 50 years, uh, just just amazing. And my uh, my thoughts on Bob Cole, and I, you know, like I said, I, I chatted with him uh, very briefly on the phone. I wish them all the best. I, I, I thanked him on behalf of our listeners um, uh, and just uh, and, and what I take away from Bob Cole is the consummate uh, um, professional at his craft and but a humble man um, takes the time you know he didn't have any problem spending a few minutes on the phone with me just chatting uh, just a just a fine fine, fine gentleman, and in the pantheon of great sportscasters. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's the Troika there, I guess. Uh, Foster Hewitt, Bob Cole, and Danny Gallivan. And, you know, um, yeah, absolutely, Bob Cole uh, uh, is <laughs> not... It, 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 the case is that he's the, he's the greatest of all time, but, you know, that's like comparing uh, 
a Da Vinci to a uh, to a Van Gogh. Um, they're all great in their own respects, but certainly my top three of all time: Foster, Danny, and Bob Cole for all kinds of different reasons. And Bob Cole holds a special place uh, in my heart because. Uh, We've got the opportunity to chat with him. He's been kind to us. He's been generous to us. And uh, watching watching that uh, video la- video tribute last night brought a little uh, tear to my eye, uh, and just reminded just reminded us of all the incredible great calls. Of course, can't forget the one two thousand and two. At uh, at Salt Lake, Bob Cole brought it home for us, first Canadian gold medal in in, in over fifty years as well. And uh, of course, no more fitting uh, person to do that than Bob Cole. Speaking of fitting, last night's game was uh, forty nine shots apiece for the goalies, and Bob Cole was up and down the ice, and he didn't miss a beat. <laughs> I tell you what, that was an incredible performance by Bob Cole last night in a yeah, he, difficult uh, game to do play by play in for sure. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and we, you know, it's 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 a difficult. I mean, I I know that uh, this means the end of his seemingly. I mean, <laughs> uh, seemingly the end of his hockey night in Canada career. That's I think that's the way it was portrayed. Um, I'd love to see Bob, uh, you know, call uh, call a special game if there's you know a special game here and there. You know, maybe if it's not on hockey night in Canada, um, he, uh, he you know he's. I'm not so sure how thrilled he is uh, about stepping aside. Uh, not so sure this was entirely his decision. Uh, I still think he thinks he's got a lot left in him, and God bless him. Um, I do compliment Hockey Night in Canada for giving him, uh, and the people at CBC and Sportsnet, for giving him a fitting tribute, a fitting send-off. Uh, Montreal... Toronto Maple Leafs last game of the season at the Bell Center. Um, yeah, they couldn't. Have, they, and they and I thought I thought uh, Ron McLean's words were, uh, you know, he was he seemed to be uh, somewhat emotional. And all the people that Bob had worked with over the years, uh, certainly a night a bittersweet night, um, but a great tribute to him. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we hear his voice. Uh, Somewhere, sometime in the in the near future. But um, did you see on the screen they showed Mrs. Belleville about three or four times? That was yeah. quite fitting too, because his first call in double uh, yeah. overtime, John Belleville scoring uh, an overtime goal for Montreal or Boston, was, and Mrs. Was, Belleville was, was game, there. It was game. It was game six. Uh, it was game six, Montreal and Boston uh, in the Boston Garden. Um, uh, that was the deciding game in the series. Uh, the Habs went on to win the Stanley cup, uh, against St. Louis that spring. Of course, Boston won it the next spring in the famous Bobby Orr goal. But, uh, yeah. And that, interestingly enough, that was the only overtime goal that Jean Beliveau ever scored in his career, which is astounding to believe in Bob Cole called it in double overtime. And as you say, Naz, uh, great observation by you, uh, Fitting, uh, fitting to see uh, Mrs. Bellabo there. Uh, certainly, um, um, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, great, a great, great evening, a great uh, celebration of, of his career. Uh, Fifty years, wow, wow, uh, the greatest of all time. Yeah. Did you see the broadcaster? Did you see the lease they set out for defensemen last night? 
Hey, look. Well, I want to have this. I want to have this conversation with uh, with Michael Trakos, Naz. Uh, I'm sure you've got your questions lined up. Um, I didn't quite understand. I mean, I don't know. I guess I didn't have a pro. I don't. I mean, I don't know. You know, you you haven't played well um, in weeks. Your your defense has not played well in weeks. Uh, then you had the whole scan. You had the whole thing with Garrett Sparks. I wouldn't say blew up this week, but it blew up. Uh, a move they should have made a long time ago. Um, we've had that discussion on the air, and we'll we'll have it with uh, with, with 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 Michael. He, he got well. sent down for ten ten days to work on his game. What the heck does that mean, Wally? I have no idea. But uh, what's uh, you know what's What's uh, what's Freddie Anderson doing in the Nets last exactly. night? Exactly. What is he doing in the Nets? Um, I, he he I, almost got know, hurt too. I, in the second got, period, you know. Can you imagine if you got hurt? Um, you know, I, you know. I, I got to assume Babcock made that decision. Uh, it's not that easy to criticize Mike, Mike Babcock. Certainly not. <laughs> if you ever had a press conference and you ask him a question the wrong way, he gives you that glare. He doesn't. Uh, you know. I, you know. He's. Uh, he doesn't like his hockey judgments questioned all that much, and I guess with his resume and uh, you know, we're, you know, we don't have uh, you know. I guess he doesn't take to his judgments being questioned all that well by, I guess, observers who perhaps certainly don't have his experience, his breadth of experience, and his breadth of hockey knowledge, but. Uh, I don't know if anybody asked them that question after the game last night. What, what I checked on Twitter with some of the comments I saw, because a lot of uh, there were a few uh, seasoned hockey observer that uh, hockey observers that asked that same question. Uh, and I guess the consensus from what they were able to determine was Freddie Anderson wanted to play last night, and apparently he went to uh, he went to the Babcock and the coaching staff says I need I need to get. I guess he felt uh, he hadn't been playing all that well lately and uh, wanted to get another game under his belt. And, you know, from Saturday to Thursday, that's sufficient rest as, as far as he was concerned. And But but did he really need 50 shots and six goals on him? I'm not so sure what that does for his confidence. But um, Carey Price had wanted no part of the net, you could tell. He was uh, very <laughs> relaxed on the bench. <laughs> well, he's got, you know. Uh, I, I, my understanding is that was, uh, Anderson went to, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just relaying information I've read. I don't know the veracity of the information. I don't know how accurate it is. Uh, what some people seem to be, uh, saying Freddie Anderson wanted to get in there. And, uh, uh, in red, you know, maybe, maybe the 50 shots, uh, will do him good. You know, he gives like a little bit of a shooting gallery last night, and uh, you know, hopefully the Leafs tighten it up uh, uh, next Thursday. Uh, you know, the, if they don't tighten it up, this is going to be a very, very short series. The one but, thing uh, that the one thing that the Leafs may have going for him, Tuka Rask looks awful in net, and he's got to straighten things out in Boston too because he's letting in a ton of goals lately. Yeah, and I, if I, he I, doesn't play well, this could be an interesting series between these well, two teams. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not throwing in the towel, Naz. Uh, you know, I, um, I I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I know we had that discussion. We've had that discussion with you know with uh, with a few uh, with a few people on the air. That it's no, it's not that easy to to flip a switch on and you just you start playing a different game. But um, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be. I'm you know I would not be surprised if the Leafs. 
uh, are able to ramp their game up a little bit uh, against Boston, and and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the series. I think I think they have enough talent. Uh, the key to the series, of course, will be Freddie Anderson. Uh, if he's able to rediscover his form from earlier in the year, I give the Leafs a reasonable shot of winning this series. And, of course, on the defense, the key to the series will be the ability to get the puck out of their own zone really, really, really quickly before the Bruins can bottle them up with their forecheck. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. But uh, up front, I, I think they've got enough talent up there. Uh, and as you know, as all the commentators say, as Butch Carter says, as Harry Neal says, your best players got to be your best players. And the two guys that really didn't show up all that much in last year's series were Matthews and Nylander. And they've, uh, they've got to up their game. Um, uh, Tavares and Marner have been sort of the spark plugs the last little while. Um, you know, Austin Matthews got to strap this team to his back, and he's got to take his game to uh, a superstar level or a star level, and play like a star and be a dominant force in this series. I think those are the keys. I think the Leafs are quite capable of winning this series. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but uh, they really haven't shown much in the last two, three weeks. We'll see what happens. Before the break, Austin Matthews was quote was, "Bring on the playoffs." I hope so. We'll be right back. Well, yeah, thanks, Ness. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we received this letter. My marriage is in a rut. Can you help us spice things up? Yes. Get the gourmet special. Two medium gourmet pizzas for just $24.99. He loves Canadian bacon, so he'll order a deluxe. She can order the Italian because she loves the hot Italian sausage. Everyone's happy. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We have ex-Raptors coach Butch Carter on the line. Good morning, Butch. How are you? 
Good morning. How are you doing? Really good, really good. And Wally's with, with us, too, from uh, Florida, and you're in Minnesota. What's going yeah. on with you in Minnesota? Uh, I came up for the uh, Final Four. I don't normally uh, come to this event, but uh, I was able to – I wanted to do a lot of things. Uh, I have a niece, uh, my brother Chris's uh, daughter, that works for the Viking Foundation, and um, I was able to secure good seats in the uh, Vikings owner's lounge. So that made it a lot easier. So I'm here and uh, have enjoyed it. Uh, got to do a visit with John Thomas, a former Raptor who works for the Timberwolves. Got to visit their facility and uh, see how they're doing things. And uh, it's been a nice visit so far. Yeah, Butch, good morning. How are you this morning? How are you? Walter. I'm great. Thanks so much. Uh, uh, Texas Tech in Virginia. Uh, I got. I have to admit, uh, uh, Butch, I'm not so sure. I'm getting terribly excited about Texas Tech in Virginia in the uh, in the final game. It certainly doesn't ring and uh, doesn't ring UCLA, NC State, or Georgetown, North Carolina, or Duke, North Carolina. Um, your breakdown of of those two teams and uh what are you seeing in the in the final game monday night well i, I think the the biggest thing that i see is that it's really hard to, to bring a good team and put them in a dome and expect them to play well that's the only time of the year they play in a dome um virginia historically uh with coach bennett has been a rhythm team uh they shoot the ball better have a higher iq um and just really do damage to you methodically. Uh, Texas Tech, uh, uh, Texas Tech is ranked, I believe, uh, one, number one in defensive field goal percentage. Um, they won a very ugly game. Uh, both games were ugly. Uh, no real rhythm to it. Uh, a couple of good after timeout plays, but teams did not shoot the basketball well uh, in the Tech Michigan State game. Both teams combined, I shoot it. To shoot about thirty uh, percent, it was it was really ugly. I just think that I don't know how people can bet on the Final Four when you throw these kids into this huge football stadium and ask them to play basketball. Uh, there's really no telling what you're going to get on sh- on shooting percentage, and also you know you your your depth percep- perception changes drastically from playing in your home arena. Or, you know, a road arena that's on campus in, in most of these conferences uh, and then playing in this football field. But just college basketball gotten a lot tighter uh, in the uh, number of teams that could compete for the championship because it used to be a, a handful. Now it's all sorts of teams that are close. Well, it's, it's different now because, uh, as you stated, you have 351. I think when I played, uh, there was 170 Division One schools. Now there's 351. And even those of the 351, the most important thing is kids don't stay local anymore. You'll see kids, uh, the best player for Virginia is, is uh, Indiana Mr. Basketball. And uh, and because they don't stay local, um, there's greater opportunity for other schools that you haven't heard of uh, to grow. I mean, we played Texas Tech in 1979 down in Lubbock, Texas. And I had never been to a college basketball game or any game in my life where it was almost like a siesta. Uh, sombreros, uh, 
you know, the, the, mu- the music was, was Spanish. And, you know, after playing in Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, which is a very sterile, you know, red and white environment, uh, it was quite, <laughs> it was really entertaining. Um, but Texas Tech is, is uh, built a new building, went and got the coach that they wanted. I think one of the other things I saw was, uh, you know, Under Armour has two teams here. That's, you know, that was never going to happen before. No Adidas team. Uh, of course, there is a Nike team here. Uh, two of them, but you know, they everybody wanted Duke. And with the news coming out about Duke and Zion's mom uh, potentially getting paid as a consultant for him to go to Duke, that's potentially going to be trouble. Uh, Butch, let me... Uh... You know, it's Texas Tech, Virginia. Uh, I, my guess is the networks uh, aren't too thrilled about that matchup. Duke was the uh, was the signature marquee team this year with Zion and uh, you know and and RJ and Cam and uh, Trey. But um, I want to get into the discussion of the whole one and done era in college basketball. Um, you know, and, and when we grew up, you know, you used to see. A whole collection of, you know, freshmen didn't even play. Uh, they had freshman teams. And then, you know, they had the, the, the Jabbar era, the Alcindor era with, uh, you know, they uh, they sort of went through for three years together. And then the Walton gang went through with Keith Wilkes and Henry Bibby. And, you know, there was a Olajuwon and Drexler. That, you know, you had stars that stayed together uh, for for three years. And then, then the one and done came in. And to me, it's, it's, it, it's sort of, and I appreciate the fact for most people it hasn't killed the interest, but it, 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 there's something different about college basketball that way. It would have been great to see Williamson and RJ and Cam and those guys go through, uh, you know, the reality is collective bargaining agreements, whatever has changed. But how much has the one and done era really changed college basketball, Butch? Well, the, the one and done, you have to, Put two things together: the one and done, and then the the amount of money that has grown for a first round draft pick, and the amount of money the salary cap has grown. You know, since uh, 2000, where the salary cap was around 50 million, it's 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 doubled uh, to 100 plus million, and so it has driven what I believe an element of greed across the board. Uh, agents, young agents, are looking: how can I get a player? And I don't want him in. Agents don't want him in college, and they're selling it to the AAU coach. They're selling it to the parents. If the colleges aren't going to pay you uh, to help them make money, you shouldn't be here. So I would love to see you know guys stay for two or three years. I I prefer the baseball rule, where you know you you have to commit or go directly, where um, you have to stay for two or three years. I think that is the best scenario. Um, the problem is the NCAA has realized that some of these uh, lottery pick guys can really excite their TV audience. You cite their TV audience, the sponsors pay by headcount, right? So the economics uh, need to find a long-term solution. Uh, the kids who don't want to go to college and have no desire to sit in class, I mean, it's really a joke. You lose in the NCAA tournament on a one and done. He withdraws from school. So he, basically, he was only in school for four months. And 
it's a joke, the, on, the, it's a joke on the education side. So I, I just I think from I just think it's a hypocrisy to an, to take into a different level. I mean, you know, they're well, they're as you say, Butch, they're brought in. I mean, he's in. You know, I mean. There's, let's forget about the charade that they're student athletes. You know, yeah. so, you know the ones that are going to the NBA. They're not student athletes. Uh, they're 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 there to make money for a program, as you say, for four months, and then they're gone. And yeah, they're a rental. You know, they're a rental. It's really yeah, a rental and, agreement. And you know, and that's stating the obvious. The solution is not apparent. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, most of these. You know, they, you know, before the season started, we knew Zion and we knew RJ Barrett, uh, and you could probably go down a list of them. You know, they're, they're gone after one year. So why, you know, what, what are they going to class for? I mean, why even bother? Uh, they, they ought to bring a rule in. They ought to bring a rule in. It says they don't even have to bother going to class. You know, well, they they're here for a year. Did. But, but Walter, they did bring rule. Like I told you, uh, yeah. last time I was on, they brought in a, in a, in a curriculum called General. Studies. Okay. Right. So general yeah. studies is some form of directional class that you go as long as you show up, you get your C, and you're eligible to play second semester, which is to play through you know the NCAA tournament. It, it, you said it. Um, it's a hypocrisy of of a financial hypocrisy, and it all starts with ESPN promotes the high school kids, ranks them. And then tries to get them delivered across the board to where they're going to broadcast. And those are the schools that they want those kids at. So the issue is the, the people making the rules are all in the, in the financial pot together. So right, let me ask. Going, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, no, you finish your thought, please, Butch. They're, they're not, they are not under any circumstances going to do harm to themselves. Right. So, um, you know, that's the problem. They were, they never were before. The NCAA thought they were higher, and all of a sudden, someone they got the they got a new set of bean counters and said, "Hey, this is what we can do if we're complicit in acting together." And basically, that's what they've done in the last fifteen years. Butch, let me. Uh, you know, you were you're you're a pretty prescient guy, and we last Sunday we talked about. Uh, I mean, uh, Duke was playing Michigan State, uh, and Duke hadn't looked that great in their first two games. And, uh, of course, this one came down as the other two came down to the last second. And interestingly enough, last Sunday we had a discussion about development of these one-and-done guys, and you're fairly critical of what you sort of shocked me of Mike Krzyzewski, who's uh, sort of a god in college basketball, but without getting into a discussion about him specifically, uh, R.J. Barrett uh, didn't look good in that last minute, minute and a half of that game, and you made the point, you know, they don't, they're not, these one-and-done guys don't nece- aren't necessarily developing the skills that they need to develop in college, and then they got to go to the pros, and they've got deficiencies in their game. And and R.J. Barrett, as you pointed out, uh, has difficulty, correct me if I'm wrong, Butch, uh, he's left-handed, but he has difficulty going to the right. Um, is R.J. Barrett ready to play in the pros? No, he's not. He's, he's not ready to play from a skill standpoint because now you're going to take someone who has a skill deficiency and you're going to make him play, ask him to play 30 minutes a game for, say, he'll play 75 games next year. And 
you got to remember that the NBA has historically had those cameras in every arena. So, you know, I'm looking at some of the technology at the convention, and you know, over where the suppliers are. And the Denver Nuggets uh, are using a, a system in which they can download the game, make the edits right after the game on the road and send them to the players. So there is no paper scout report. And you can give the kids the video. Today ESPN was showing, uh, did a little special on Krzyzewski, and he was uh, doing a film session at Duke with the players. And what I know for a fact is that NCAA colleges and coaching staffs don't have a playing background and are very poor on the player development side. And that was always what I understood to be the huge opportunity to win against opposing coaches and a co- coaching staff. They're going to have their nice suit on. I mean, let, let's go. Krzyzewski and them make a lot of money, this whole staff. But yet and still, not one of them knew that they had to take what I call the tag foul so they would be in the penalty. Michigan State basically won the game because Duke did not know that they needed to get into the foul situation. So there is a specific shortfall, right? In one of the presentations that I did to a college coach was that most college coaches did not take a math class after ninth grade. (laughs) And if you don't take a math class after ninth grade, you don't understand how the things that really involve in a basketball game are five offensive players, five defensive players, three officials, and one good opposing coach. So they're so stuck. And, and think about it. Uh, Calipari just got $9.6 million until he's done coaching at Kentucky. All right. Now, is John Calipari a really good player development? No, John Calipari has a system of getting his guys winning games in a conference where he's always been the best team, winning one national championship, and yet and still, his guys are not perennial all-star players in the NBA. So the player development side is always and always has been the golden opportunity for any coach to catch up to another coach. Because when you see the best player Supposedly the number one high school player, R.J. Barrett, playing Alaska on a fast break. He runs down the right side of the floor facing the basket because he needs to go down the right side so when he catches the ball, he can come back with his left hand. I watched him play Florida State in a very close game, and R.J. is able to get on the right side, and he can drive left. But when you when you look at, if you took a camera and said, okay, let's look at all his possessions, Right When he's on the left side of the floor and has to go right, he really struggles. He struggles to elevate, and he struggles to finish. Now, these are fixable issues if RJ is with the right person that says, hey, my will as your instructor is greater than allowing you to continually go out here and do this thing one way. And especially with young players when they go into the NBA, because they're going to be guarded by guys who are four, five, six years older than them and, you know, are polished off defensively. Butch, one final question. Uh, how many Canadians yeah. are there that uh, we hear about R.J. Barrett all the time? Is there any other Canadians ranked in the top first-round pick? 
for this year? Um, there are, I believe there are two other Canadians that are, are, are ranked uh, extremely high. One of them is at Gonzaga. Um, but at, at the end of the day, uh, the, the greatest, you know, the, the best, Zion is not even close. Now, he does have a flaw with how he finishes his jump shot. Um, but his IQ and his, he is, I think, one of the best uh, team players. Uh, that is talented, has come out in a long time. Uh, a lot of times in life you see, when you see these kids, because they're pampered so much, they become very selfish. Uh, I believe he is a bigger team guy than he is a talent. And if you put him on a team that eventually gets two other good players, they are going to win because he goes from point A to point B, either from the ground in the air or uh, horizontal as quick as anyone and uh, anyone I've ever seen. I think I believe he's one of the top six or seven uh, greatest athletes ever played in the ACC. And and that's saying a lot. That's a, that's a lot of all-star guys. Uh, and, you know, with Michael being number one, but you take David Thompson, Ralph Sampson, Lynn Bias as an athlete, Vince Carter, um, you know, there's just a lot there. Jerry Stackhouse, um, I believe he ranks right in there. I believe he, I believe if you put all of them on one court when they were young, he could practice with them, and and that's saying a lot. Butch, we have to go. Thanks very much for your Thanks time, for you guys. Take care. All right. Commercial break. Take care. Thanks, Butch. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised that unlike pizza, you can enjoy Pizzaville's authentic panzerotti with just one hand. Peterville and its entities, owned in whole or in part, have no interest in knowing what you do with your other hand while you're consuming one of our panzerotti. Seriously. Get two authentic Italian panzerotti with cheese and sauce for just ten forty nine. One for each hand. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. 
There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Wally Sports Hour, we have uh, on the line from Post Media, Michael Trakos. Michael, how are you? Hey, pretty good, boys. Finally, uh, good to talk playoff hockey with you. It's about time. Uh, Michael, uh, Wally Rigobine here. I'm uh, I'm off site today, so uh, I'll have to raise my voice a little bit. Are you, are you scouting the Tampa Bay Lightning already? <laughs> no, I the word. You already Actually, doing some got, second I round got, scouting for the Leafs? Uh, pretty close, but uh, I got my wires crossed, and uh, I ended up scouting the Florida Panthers. So <laughs> okay. uh, maybe for uh, two years from now, is that the idea? Yeah, should they bring James Reimer back, right, Wally? <laughs> oh, well, a long game with wait. you, I guess. Michael, the moment of truth has arrived. Uh, yeah, we've been, we've been waiting for it all season. Uh, well, what a shocker! That they're going to play the Bruins. Huh? Like no one saw this coming. <laughs> Nobody saw it coming, and certainly, I want to ask you uh, your assessment. But the first question Naz and I threw around when we opened the show, and we got to ask you: uh, Why was Freddie Anderson in net last night? The only thing I could think of is that. Well, it's, it's no secret. You look at his numbers in March and April versus his numbers in any other month of the season, and Frederick Anderson is playing his worst hockey um, of the season. And, you know, I, I've said this before. Uh, someone asked me with, I think it was, it was seven or six games left, I said, they said, how many games do you want to see Anderson in that? And I said, as many as it takes to get him back to feeling the way he uh, needs to be feeling uh, going into the playoffs. And, you know, even last night, um, less than five goals. Um, he's not playing his best hockey. And the only thing I can think of is, um, the fact that he played 60 games this year, um, really took a backseat to the fact that, you know what, by game 60, th- this guy is not playing the way that we know he can play and the way that he needs to play. If we are going to topple the Bruins and, you know, I've had his game been rock solid and, um, he was humming along just as he was in October, November, December, and really up until March. Um, you probably would have seen him take a little bit more of a rest uh, going into these playoffs. Michael, uh, Tuka Rask has not shown very well lately either. This could be a battle of two uh, struggling goalies. Yeah, it could be a, ba- <laughs> a battle between the backups. Yeah, it could be. And, you know, Speaking of backups, at- whoa. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. And I was looking just because of Toronto's situation where – you know, they are taking their backup position seriously and um, sending Sparks away and bringing up Hutchinson. You know, the Boston Bruins, people may not know this, but Tukarasko only made, I think, five or six more starts than uh, Yaroslav Halak did this year. And it was almost a true tandem, and Halak's numbers were actually better. So and don't be surprised if, you know, if the Leafs uh, steal a game on the road or even steal two games on the road that we might see Halak in that for the Bruins and um, I don't think they're going to have any hesitation going to the number two, just because Halak is so proven. Well, I got to tell you, I, I, if I was if I was Babcock, I'd, I'd be, you know, Halak's probably the it may not be the guy you want to see in net. I mean, I, I remember the playoff series when he went on that run, when they stuck him in net and put Carey Price on the bench when they did that run. Uh, that's been about six or seven years ago now, and they they almost got the Canadians almost to the Stanley Cup final. Well, and they, uh, they upset the number one seed, a yeah. President's Trophy, Washington Capitals that year. They couldn't couldn't figure out a way to score. I remember covering that series, and uh, it was supposed to be kind of Washington's year that year. And you're right. Yeah, that was 
after that, I think a lot of people were debating, okay, should Carey Price or Halak be the goalie of the future in Montreal? What can yeah. we see upset-wise uh, in the playoffs, other than uh, maybe the least upsetting Boston? Well, no one's upsetting the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> so oh. this has got to... Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> Michael, you realize or no one? I'm sorry. That, that Tampa's fighting history. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, you know, well, the, the number, bold, the the bold saying that Tampa Bay Lightning are going to go to the second round, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of upset scenarios. Like, you consider the Leafs beating the the, uh, the Bruins an upset? I wouldn't personally. Um, the only other team that I could see really vulnerable is uh, the Washington Capitals. Like they've got to play those bunch of jerks down in Carolina and um, Carolina going into these playoffs might be the hottest team in the NHL right now, just because they knew they had to win a lot of games down the stretch to get in there. And uh, they're playing with confidence. They're almost playing with house money. Uh feels like a very similar scenario to what the Vegas Golden Knights were doing a year ago where, you know, it was not against them. No one really counted them in. And then when they got in, they just forgot how to lose games. And, you know, I wouldn't put Peter Mrazek up there with the top goalies in the NHL, but sure looks like he is uh, the way he's playing right now. Michael, Carolina seems to me like they're playing with two backups as their goalies. And they've gone pretty far doing that, you know? Yeah. Uh, you got to give them credit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's like like I said, I was when the, when the Carolina Hurricanes were in Toronto uh, earlier last week, um, I was talking, speaking to a lot of guys in that room, and like I said, there's just the feeling of you know, everyone counted them out from day one, um, and they're just kind of having fun and playing games. It's like that storm surge really kind of clicked in something uh, confidence-wise and just kind of um, they sort of embody that whole, like I said, uh, us against the, the world sort of mentality. And uh, Justin Williams is playing his best hockey. Sebastian Ajo is really good. Um, defensively, you got to love what they have there. Um, so many of the defensemen were expected to get traded this year, and the fact that they kept them all really has given them, you know, a back end that is you know, maybe one of the best in the league right now. Uh, I'm impressed with their offense from the defense defensive side of play. Right, the defensemen are really scoring quite a bit for Carolina. Yeah, like I said, it's not a it's not a matchup that Washington probably um, really wants, but. Yeah, I could see them going into the second round. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think it's out of the East. I can't see anyone really kind of giving Tampa a real run for their money. That, that team is locked and loaded, ready to go. I think that's more of a, a crapshoot out West where so many of the matchups uh, are basically a coin toss. But out of the East, I don't know about you guys, I'm expecting Tampa just to kind of, you know, smooth sailing, just get right into that conference final. Uh, Michael, let's let's uh, let's take a little look at the Leafs season or a little recap here. Um, 100 points. Uh, it's probably the first time in history that the Leafs have had a 100 point season, and there's a lot of disappointed people. Um, we sent, tend to be focusing on the negative, or a lot of observers do, rather than the positive. Um, is this Leaf team in a better position? be successful in the playoffs than last year's Leafs team. Supposedly, they're supposed to be a better team. Well, last year they finished with more points, but on paper, this is a better team than last year. Well, let's face it. Um, you, you know, you lose, you don't have Gardner or Bozak in your lineup. Or sorry, 
Right, see Gardner. You don't have Van Riemsdyk or Bozak in your lineup or Leo Komarov, who was a healthy scratch at this time last year. But now you've got John Tavares. You've got Andreas Janssen, who's playing his best hockey. Um, you've got Kasperi Kapanen, who's now a 20-goal scorer. Uh, and you've got Jake Muzzin on the back end. Uh, it's a deeper team, let's face it. And the only reason why people don't think it's a better team than it was last year is because of how they sort of backed into the playoffs. Um, you know, and then also just with the expectations, like you get John Tavares in the summer and the goalposts have shifted. Um, from day one, Toronto went into the season as a Stanley Cup contender and a favorite. And, you know, at times that was weight on their shoulders. Um, they struggled with that kind of expectation and with maybe having a target on their back all season long. And, um, power play is not clicking like it used to. The offense isn't quite as dangerous as it was earlier in the season. And, um, defensively and in net, there's some issues. So I think that's the cause is that when you look at the whole season as a whole, you got John Tavares, who almost hit 50 goals. You've got Mitch Marner, who put up the most points, and Matt Sundin in his most productive year. You've got um, Austin Matthews as a better than a point per game guy. Morgan Riley as a Norris Trophy uh, finalist, potentially. And Frederick Anderson, who's probably just outside that top three Bezina finalist. So you've got a lot of things you like. It's just they haven't all kind of clicked at the same time, especially down the stretch, and that's the concern. But if they can all Michael, come together, you... if you can flip that switch, and the Bruins are going to have their hands full. Without, without obviously stating the obvious, which is, you know, Freddie Anderson's got to stand on his head. Uh, what's the roadmap for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win this series against the Bruins? Other, other than the obvious answer, they have to score more goals than the Bruins, and, and Freddie Anderson's standing on his head. What do you want to see from the Leaf players in terms of approach or what's it going to take for the Leafs to win this series? Well, I think they've got to shut down that top line of Bergeron, uh, Pasternak, and Marchand. And I think a lot of the Leafs' success is going to go through Nas. Uh, Nas and Kadri has been very quiet this season. Coming off back-to-back 30-goal seasons, he really took a dip in production, possibly because he had a lesser role. But you know, against the Bruins, someone's going to have to really kind of antagonize and, you know, get under the skin of those top guys on the Bruins. And I think a guy like Kadri, who's, you know, he's got that in him. Um, you see him when he matches up against McDavid or Crosby. Um, he can be a bit nasty. He can be a little prickly. And I think he's got to be that player plus provide some secondary offense because if the Bruins shut down one of the Leafs' top lines or if they shut down both of their top lines, it's going to be the third line that has to do some damage. And, all season long, we talked about the, you know, the uh, the advantage of having three lines that could score, where you have to really pick your poison, and how Toronto was so deep down the middle. Well, they haven't really shown that uh, depth, uh, that hasn't been on display. Where you say, you know what, that third line is as good as the first line, and you can number them one, two, three, any way that you want, and it would be true. Really, that third line has been a disappointment this season. So, the X factor for me is. Aside from Matthews and Tavares and Marner kind of doing their job and showing up, I think Kadri's got to come up big in the series if the Leafs are going to get past the Bruins. Michael, uh, Babcock uh, likes playing his fourth line a lot, and uh, the fourth line is not very good for Toronto. Um, what do you see in the series with the fourth line? You know, I, I'd be surprised if we see them a whole lot in the series. Um, I think Babcock's really going to tighten things down and go with, you know, those top three lines. Um and that fourth line is might gonna get might get like too few or too less minutes than we've seen all season long. Um I'd be real surprised if this this turns into a four line or let's roll them 
uh, series. So um, that along with the defense, just knowing how Babcock is so big on trust and putting out guys that he knows that can get the job done, I'd be real surprised if we see a whole lot of that third pairing at times this uh, series. Uh, I think he's going to play the heck out of Morgan Riley, who his minutes, if you looked over the last couple of weeks, keep creeping up higher and higher. I think that's um, a sign that he's going to get the bulk of, obviously he's going to get the bulk of the minutes, but I think he's going to get um, significantly more minutes than he has this regular season. And I think Babcock's coaching the win, and if that's the case, he's going to rely on three to four guys on his back end. Wally, one last uh, question. Yeah, Michael, just want to take the opportunity to uh, just uh, pick your brain a little bit in terms of how you approach, uh, because you've uh, you've uh, been selected once again that you uh, uh, you get a vote on the on the NHL awards, the best players for all the awards, and congratulations because I know that that's a that's a significant honor, uh, and I know Thank that uh, based on your tweet, you take it seriously and you don't want to be lobbied about it. Uh, just give me an idea, just so our listeners understand. Uh, you, uh, how do you approach this specific task, and uh, give us your uh, your your uh, how, what what you go through to make your selections? Yeah, thanks very much. And it, I do take I take it seriously. Um, I think it's one of the things that means a lot to players. So um, as a writer, as a, as a voter, um, I, I give it the due respect and. Aside from the fact that I assume from day one of the season that I'm going to be an uh, end-of-year voter, and because I assume that, um, I'm basically every month um, taking into account who has been the best um, at the respective positions or awards. So I've already kind of gone through it. I don't just take a recency bias and um, who's been the hottest guy down the stretch because you can almost lose sight of the fact that a lot of guys maybe just got hot in the final two months and um, you know, they, they were good all year, but aside from that, I, I do pick the brains of scouts and uh, general managers around the league. Um, I talk to them about like who might be the forgotten guy, who is your best defenseman if you're going to have to rank them, because I want to get their uh, views into account as well. So I, I try to see as many games on TV, but let's face it, aside from just picking apart stats and watching highlights, um, who better to kind of give you a full idea as to what makes Mark Giordano is so effective than just a, a Western Conference scout. So uh, I do my homework in that regards as well. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, very informative this morning. And bring on the playoffs. All right, guys. We'll see how long the lease can last, but it should be a good one. Thank you again. Right. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah well, uh, we got a, we got a couple of minutes left. Um, what do you think of the series? What's going to happen? Toronto, Boston? Yeah. Um, I mean, the easy answer. The easy answer is Boston is going to dominate the Leafs uh, physically. Um, the Leafs can't have shown uh, at no time have they shown the ability to handle uh, Bergeron, uh, Marshawn, and pa- Pasternak. Um, th- that line sort of have, has run roughshod over them. For the last few years, uh, somehow the Leafs got to figure a way to bottle up that line, and they've got to figure out a way to, uh, uh, you know, increase their possession stats, take the game to the Bruins, and overcome the Bruins' advantage, uh, parent advantage from a physicality point of view. Um, Leafs have always had tough time with the Bruins down low in their zone. Um, but, you know, 
we had probably had the same discussion at this time last year, and the Leafs took them to Game 7 and were controlling that game until things went a little bit haywire in the third period of Game 7. So um, the, easy, uh, the easy answer is the Bruins in five. The tough one is the Leafs. Leafs in six or seven. Um, I think I'm, I'm the series call, is. I'm going to call the Leafs in six. How's that? Yeah, I, I you know, uh, hope springs eternal. Uh, I think the Leafs are a better team than they were a year ago. Bruins may be a better team too, but the Leafs are a better team. And as they always say, your best players got to be your best players. So, you know, especially Matthews. Wally, we're running out. Of, we're, we're out of time, buddy. Okay. We'll see you next week. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be happy next Sunday morning. Go Leafs, go. Okay, great, Naz. Thanks. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.